Hello and welcome. My name is Joel Martin, the host of the Morning Mail podcast. Today, we have a very special episode in which we discuss the writer's role in the ever-growing industry of video games. Joining me on this podcast is Neil Renison, the creative director of Tin Man Games, and Ichiro Lambi, the founder and president of Dejoban Games. We talk about the ever-changing face of game narrative, about linear versus non-linear storytelling, the expectation of AAA game narrative design, and other subjects. As always, you can contact me regarding questions or comments via my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Today we have a bit of a different episode for you. Well, we talked about video game storytelling on the live podcast a couple of times, um, but I think it's time to really delve into that subject. And I'm not alone. It's just not me talking to the mic alone. Very lonely. That's not what's happening. Joining me to talk about storytelling in video games and its changing face is Ichiro Lambi, the founder and president of Dejoban Games. Jero, welcome to the podcast. Good morning and good evening. Fantastic. So what time of day are you at, Ichiro? Right now it is 9.20 a.m. It is sunny and gorgeous here in Boston, Massachusetts. Beautiful. Well, it's dark, quiet, and quite lonely on a Melbourne suburban street over here, but I'm sure we'll manage just fine. Also joining me, a man who is quickly becoming one of my favorite people to interact with, Neil <laughs> Renison, director of Tin Man Games. Welcome, Neil. Hello, how are you doing? Very good. And yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm sat here with a glass of white wine on the go, so hope I don't get too giggly on you. But... It is 11.20pm. I'm sorry for getting you up this late, Neil. Well, that's okay, because that's most of the bottle gone, so it's good doing <laughs> All right, we're in the good part now. All right. <laughs> um, well, it's great to have you both here. So before we before we get um, into it, and, and for our um, listeners, uh, this is uh, different in the way that while we're not doing our usual spiel of media and you know people talking about what they watched or what they thought about the latest Game of Thrones episode, this isn't that. We'll specifically be talking about a topic and just... Um, getting as much time into it as possible, as uh, this is quite quite the topic, and it takes a bit of time to really talk about it in any great detail. So let's let's get straight into it. Um, let's start with you, Chiro. Why don't you tell us a bit about uh, yourself, the company, and yeah. Sure. Uh, I have been in the games industry since about 1988, and I founded my current company, Dejoban Games, in 99. Uh, in terms of narrative, storyline, etc., etc., I think the most uh, important things to my career were uh, a, a commercial mod multi-user dungeon back in the early 90s called Legends of Future Past, back when massively, massively multiplayer meant you know 32 people online and you would basically text everybody uh, to convey story. And uh, since then, at Dejoban, my most narratively focused games have been Monster Loves You, which is a visual novel about growing up as a monster, and Elegy for a Dead World, which is a game in which you explore long-dead civilizations based on the works of British Romance-era poets, and then you write about them. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, was, I actually played through that um, 
uh, a while back, and it, it was really interesting to see how that game came about. And, you know, I'm getting a bit off topic of the bios here, but just a quick question. Do you think you were thinking that this is a game that a writer would like to play in, or do you think this is a game that people would like to become writers in? I think everybody has a writer within them. I mean, think about how much we post on Facebook and Twitter and we tell these little stories. So people, I feel, are pretty naturally inclined. Mm. Uh, and I, I think writers already know how to write and yeah. people who maybe haven't done so much need a little encouragement and that's what Elegy was. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Neil, why don't we switch right over to you? Um, the audience, uh, some of them anyway, might have heard our episode where you talked about yourself, but, you know, nevertheless, give us a brief rundown on who you are and uh, what Tin Man Games is all about. Yeah, so I've been in the games industry um, since about 2000. Um, I started Tin Man Games in 2008 mm -hmm. um, here in Melbourne. Um, my big thing when I was a kid was reading um, fighting fantasy game books, which were really popular in the UK at the time, and I believe over here in Australia they were quite popular. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, when the the uh, iPhone gold rush started, and I sort of joined the bandwagon, I kind of looked to my childhood and thought, <laughs> what 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 is it that I can kind of purge from my childhood to bring to these new touchscreen devices? And um, yeah, I just went back to my childhood and, and saw game books for a thing that I loved and I thought they would work really well. And so we've been doing that for the last six years and we've since released about, I think it's 34 now across multiple platforms wow. like yeah. on Android and iOS. And, and more recently, we've, we've pushed a few of them to, the, to a PC and Mac as well. So yeah. Fantastic. So uh, give, give me the latest scoop on how uh, development on Firetop Mountain is coming along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a hard slog. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're working really hard. The team are working, working their what's-its off at the moment to get it done. Um, it's looking really fantastic. It's looking yeah. really, really good. But it's, if I'm being honest, it's, it's, taken us un by, you know, it's taken us unawares a little bit about how much works needed to be done on it to get it to, to to the level that we need it to be so um i'd say we're probably a good month away maybe mm. month and a half away from completion right um interesting so yeah yeah exciting times busy times yeah you could say that <laughs> <laughs> what's with the hesitation neil what is what does that mean uh, it's just oh, I have ups and downs. This is game development <laughs> for you. you. You go in one day and you think, yes, mm. this is looking amazing. It, it, it's playing great. Yeah. And you go, then you go in the next day and the build doesn't work and all you, everybody's <laughs> fighting with each other because the camera's too close or the, mm. yeah. or, some, or the textures aren't loading in properly or something. And it's just like, oh, gosh, are we ever going to finish this thing? Creative so, endeavors, man. It's always yeah. just how it goes. Yeah. Well, no, I wish you wish you all the luck in the world for that, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. But it is good to find out what you've been, both of you, been up to and what your careers have been like. Um, a little setting of the scene, I think, for the audience in game writing, because I think our audience, generally speaking, is more on the emerging writer side and traditional fiction, you know, that's, that's where we're at. Um, and being a game writer is... 
is still, interestingly enough, quite a niche thing, even though games are huge. Almost everybody owns a console or has a PC game or has played a game in their life, and they can identify with the concept of being oh, playing games and not even the idea of being a gamer. Um, and even within that, being a game writer seems to be even a more non-talked-about scene, I think. Uh, examples, I suppose, is there's not a lot of exposure for game writers within large writers' festivals. You know, you're lucky to see a single panel panel on game writing within, you know, the, the Melbourne Writers' Festival or internationally. Like, that's not something that happens very often. Um, more often we see talks uh, regarding game writing within, uh, you know, things like GDC or or places where people already know about these concepts. And I'm, I'm curious to, to hear your opinions on why do you think that is. Neil, let's start with you. Oh, why is that? It's a difficult one. Um, it, but I, I can tell you something. It's, mm. it, 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 you know, Tin Man Games, like I said, we've been going since 2008, and yep. our games are all about narrative. It's all about storytelling, interactive fiction. Yep. And... I, I, I've been asked to be on a few things at some of these festivals. Melbourne has a lot of festivals, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Um, and I've only been asked to be on two or three mm-hmm. over the years. And I find it really bizarre. Like, we're one of the leading companies yeah. in Melbourne dealing with modern yeah. know, digital storytelling. Mm. And, you know, we never get approached for any of these things. And, and a writer, writer's festival will come and go. Yep. And... And I'll I'll find out about it after the event, and I'll go. Gosh, I should have gone to that. And I think I don't realise because I'm just not mixing in those circles. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. So. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely a thing that I've been noticing. Uh, Chiro, you know, you're on the other side of the world, but is that impact still there? Do you see that kind of um, emptiness, I suppose, within uh, outside of the game circles, talking about being a writer for games? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, the the question of why is writing so underrepresented in games? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think the answer is simple. Uh you have your various disciplines in games. You have, you know, what's visual, what's what you can hear, you have your 3D art, you have your illustrations, you can see that immediately. Mm-hmm. You have your music, you have your audio, and you can hear that immediately. And writing, I think at its best is in many ways invisible mm-hmm. such that only when you're done with an experience uh do you go back and you notice my god that was that w- that was amazing mm-hmm. and as such you know if it if it's done poorly you only think about it at the uh you know when you've gotten into it and uh what where am I trying to go with this and therefore even beyond certain uh, you know certain disciplines like level design and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. You just you just don't notice it enough. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that invisible feel that just it works, but you know nobody notices it and enjoys it. But you know says nothing about it in the end. Well, every I mean every like it's like you notice it, but it's like yeah. when the temperature is too hot or too cold, or when the the wine <laughs> meal is drinking is a little too acidic <laughs> or something like that. You might not notice it immediately. But then by the end of your meal, you're like, wow, this this Riesling really went poorly with my steak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I also think as well that, you know, get, get games, especially the big AAA games that have lots and lots of writing in, hmm. um, lots of people don't actually finish them. I mean, yeah. they're very hard. So uh, most of the times when you're 
when you're reading something or, or watching a movie mm-hmm. and which has writing in it, um, you usually make it to the end. Like if you start a book, generally, if you, if you like reading, you generally want to finish that book, even if you don't like it very much. Yeah. Whereas video games, I think a lot of people put them down and so they don't get that full appreciation of the whole narrative arc of the, you know, the, the start, middle and end. Mm. Um, and I think that's a problem in some, in some games, not all games, but some games. Yeah. Um, it's escaping me now. The, um, the, uh, uh, study that was done on, you know, the demographics of who plays games and, you know, what kind of, uh, things do they notice in games? Um, and they asked the question, uh, you know, how many people, uh, look for a good story when you play a game, uh, and, it, and it was a very large majority of people who were like, yeah, I, I go in for the story. Um, and that and that brings me to an interesting uh, point as well, that uh, do you think, uh, the both of you, that there, there should be a discussion regarding gameplay versus story? Um, you know, how much emphasis do you put on the story? How much emphasis do you put on the gameplay? Do you know, do they have to fight each other? Do they have to work together? You know, where do we stand on that, Ichiro? Well, I mean, there are different dimensions in my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rocket League could probably not benefit <laughs> from having a yep. storyline. And I'd, I'd argue that it's it, it would be worse yeah. uh, off of the storyline. However, you know, any of Neil's games, if you had zero narrative then i mean there would be zero game right there yeah uh you know but what i like about what i like about what tin man does and what we try to do in monster loves you and we're doing in an upcoming game uh is is sort of weaving the narrative together with the gameplay so in monster loves you for example you know you you grow up as a monster and you read little bits of text and you make choices and based on the narrative and the choices that you make uh, you know, you, you grow up differently. So you might, your monster might become more ferocious, or mm-hmm. your monster might become more kind, or what have you. And then this feeds back very much into the choices that happen later. And not every game needs to weave those two things mm-hmm. together, and not every game can. And therefore, uh, you know, how long is a piece of string? What games should have story? I would say not all of them. Yeah. Yep, mm. that's a fair thing. Neil? Oh, yeah, I th- like, yeah. I think it's, as you say, lots of different games have different, you know, different inputs and outputs. You, you, you know, you need different things from them. And, and story isn't always the main thing that you need, especially, you know, games that require, that are, you know, many skill-based games where it's all, you know, touch uh, and, and you know you need your reflexes to be at their best. Yeah. You, you're probably less worried about what the story's about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's. I think sometimes the best stories are not sometimes the ones that are necessarily written down, mm-hmm. or the ones that are actually spoken, narrated in the game. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get really compelling story narratives just from some of the events that happen and the way those events are delivered. Um, a good example, I think, is um, there were some games uh, many years ago on the Commodore Amiga that I played called uh, Another World. Um, mm. Another World, there's very little dialogue in there. It's an alien talking to you, and you you kind of dumped on this planet. You've been mm. transported there after an experiment. But, you know, you, you play that game through, and you get to the end, and it actually feels like you've just read a really dense French comic book, even though, you know, it's just got 
it's multi-layered in in lots of different ways um just and that's all delivered because of the visuals and the way the apprehension because you die a lot in it um, mm. and you have to get past certain little things that happen and you you befriend an alien and he helps you and you know to escape and um yeah and i think that game has got a really strong narrative in in it you know yeah um yeah, I definitely recommend people to play that if you can get a hold of that on an emulator or something. There you go. Um, it's it's interesting to see how, and um, uh, I guess we'll talk a bit more about this uh, later on, but the idea that story can be delivered through things like level design and uh, things like um, uh, the way a character walks or, you know, anything like this, and, and story can be woven in that way, and, and we'll talk about that uh, quite soon. Um, so there... Thank you for your, your answer to those questions, and I suppose a lot of people are therefore going to ask the, the, the inevitable question that follows after that, is that if you do put story over gameplay, does that just mean you're not playing a game anymore and you're just playing a book or you're playing a movie? Uh, for instance, uh, a lot of uh, video games, especially within a AAA space, take a more you know linear, cinematic approach. Um, to storytelling where, you know, there's big set pieces and um, the action is the player is the cameraman. And even within some smaller studios, uh, we have a linear approach to storytelling uh, with games such as Everybody's Gone to the Rapture or Gone Home, The Beginner's Guide, etc. You know, while these games aren't into the whole bombastic action, which the AAAs are, it's still a linear experience. And for sometimes the gameplay elements of those games are almost non-existent. Um, so my question to you is that, do you think that that is, um, in some way, uh, not achieving the strengths of the medium of games being in interactive, uh, space? Neil? Gosh, that's a deep one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, the reason we play games is because we want to escape. We want to create our own narratives in a way. Mm -hmm. I'm addicted to a football manager game, yep. and I, I manage. You know, I spend many hours managing a spreadsheet on mm -hmm. the screen. And in my mind, I'm creating a story for myself as a football yeah. team. I'm, I'm training young young lads to become great footballers. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, ultimately, it's you know. Every 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 time you you put an input into a game, you're you're changing the direction of the game. Mm -hmm. So that is no different to a choose your own adventure story, where you know you get to a junction and it says, "Do you want to turn left to go to the castle of horror, or would you turn right to go to the dungeon of doom?" Yeah, you know, it's the same thing. You're just moving left and right on your on your joypad or whatever. So, um, you know, it's it. it you know, every time anybody plays any kind of game, they're they're forming this narrative themselves um mm -hmm. and games that superimpose a narrative on that to force you um uh, into those decisions are doing so to hopefully aid the overall experience of building that world in which you're playing mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah um yeah hopefully i've answered that there you that. go uh sure <laughs> what do you think we'll, we'll get back to you neil don't worry <laughs> Sure. I mean, so you're asking, you know, does it not maximize the, the yeah. medium's strengths? I mean, mm. look, it the medium is a tool. It is a tool that we use to express something, to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And if we achieve whatever we set out to, to do, 
I think any usage is is perfectly reasonable, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you want to make somebody feel a little bit of empathy and most of your quote unquote game involves full motion video and it's it's hardly interactive at all, mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Mm. Right? I mean, the opposite end, if there is, if the only narrative that comes out, I, you know, I, I don't mean only to, to diminish that, but, you mm-hmm. know, if the narrative that comes out is purely a result of, uh, you know, again, in, in Rocket League, you know, here's, here's, the, here's the story I have of me uh, and my friends playing, and this happened, and that happened, and oh my God, this was amazing, and I yeah. had so much fun, and we bonded. I mean, that's, that's okay, too. I think, I, I don't, I, you know, having written games that are completely, uh, I don't know, sort of action, you know, they're actiony, they have no story, you get your own narrative mm-hmm. from it, and uh, the opposite end, where you essentially writing the narrative, I, I'm just happy that we're able to do this, and I think all is okay. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Let let's let's break this down a bit more because I think it's a it's a big topic and we can we can dig into it. Going back to Neil, um, you you said that um, putting putting the player or whoever it is to experience a certain thing to experience um, within within writing and, and fiction and such, people always say that uh, for a writer to superimpose a um, you know to, to to force the reader to think a certain way or to to um, believe a character is X or Y in a certain way is is telling the reader too much. Um, and within within these very heavily uh, narrative games, in, in some ways we're forcing the character to, to push them forward. It's a loaded question, I suppose. I'm trying to angle you towards a certain way, Neil. But do you think that do you think that's the same comparison? Or do you think I'm just completely off base with that? So you want to, so, okay, all right. So, mm. huh, it's difficult. Look, yeah, there, there are going to be some games where you are playing um, a certain character in a certain world which has its rules and its boundaries, yeah. and you're governed by those things. And clever writers and clever game designers will make that work in a way that makes the whole experience compelling. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but there are other games where you as a player want to superimpose y- y- who you are mm-hmm. into that environment. Um, I know a really good example is when we first started doing um, Game Book Adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, our very first one was you you were in a tavern, your girlfriend had, had left you, and you were mm. feeling sorry for yourself. And immediately that meant that you were a guy. Mm. And the assumption was that you were playing a guy in the book. And I had emails from female readers that were just like, I love your book, but hey, apparently I'm a dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that that had never, uh, you know... Occurred to you, yeah. Yeah, at the time it didn't. I mean, you know, that that was quite a number of years ago. And we've, mm. we've changed our stance a little bit since then. But it's it's about... It's about what you want to give the experience. I mean, it's no, pro- there's, there's no problem, you know, forcing somebody to be a certain mm. character yeah. at all. Because if you if you judge dread, you judge dread. And, yeah. You know, you've got, you've got to deal with the world in the way Judge Dread deals with the world. Yeah. But you know, um, uh, there is something to be said about people wanting to superimpose their lives into this into this existence, and it's it's about making sure that you've given the context right to the player. I think. Mm. Um, so they so they know what to expect, really. 
Um, Ichiro, going off your point now, um, you mentioned that, you know, it's a space where, you know, the medium works for you. It's a tool and, and you can manipulate uh, it in certain ways. And there is that idea of, you know, that subjectivity to, to all kinds of art and, you know, we judge them um, on separate levels. Uh, but uh, when we look at when we look at games and we look at um, we look at audience expectation, right, that that, that, that those terrible words, um, it's it's in some ways um my question, uh, Neil's answer rather to my question was that yes, it's people expecting to impose their what they want or what they expect out of a story. Do you find that hard to therefore design a game where you have to just have that definitive say and go, well, no, that's that's my game, and that's the story it's going to be, and you know we're just going to have to deal with that. Do you think that's that's a problem? Do you think that that sort of linearity? is a problem or do you think that within the linearity comes a lot of freedom you know we get to explore set characters and set motivations you know where do, where do you fall on that gosh i mean i'd say yes it's a challenge and yes it it also has its strengths i mean at the end of the day you're doing two things sometimes they conflict with each other and sometimes they are simpatico and mm. those things are i i want to i want to write about something i want to create something and then also, since we're a company, I want that to sell. Yeah. Right. So, what's the intersection <laughs> of that? Yeah. Uh, it's you know I always draw a Venn diagram for this sort of thing, and mm -hmm. you know you you have your 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 like there are a bazillion things that you could write about, and there are a bazillion things that people would love to read about or to experience, and those are not the same bazillion things, but there is an intersection between those two, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, all the stuff that I could write about that I would love to write about, there's, I mean, unless I'm completely insane, there's got to be something <laughs> there that people would love to read. Yeah. So, you know, then you ask yourself the question, uh, you know, what, how do I change what I'm writing? Am I doing it, uh, you know, am I compromising my vision mm. by sort of like bending to what, the public wants. Uh, yeah. And I would say as, as long as I'm still in the first category, as long as I'm still looking at what I'm writing and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, yes, that's good. Then, then we're okay. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of room to, to travel in there. Hmm. Um, let's, let's break down a specific example and get your opinions, uh, both of you on where, where you fall on this and feel free to interrupt and come in and shout and yell at me or anything. Um, and uh, I think, uh, most people um, within the games industry and even in popular culture, uh, Mass Effect is a is a well-known IP. Um, and the character of Shepard is quite well-known. Uh, let's, let's use him as an example and get a little bit into the nitty-gritty of, like, writing. Uh, Commander Shepard is a character with a pseudo-established backstory. And uh, it is given to the player to therefore inhabit his or her body and make decisions which they would make. Now, the, my question to you is, do you think it's satisfying that you have a character that acts in very, um, let's say in three very distinct ways, um, however Bioware does its the main three choices. Um, you've got the Paragon, you've got, you know, the the 
the angry Rambo man, I suppose. I don't know the actual term. And then you've got that middle ground. And those are the three aspects of this um, pseudo-RPG third-person shooter. And so these these players inhabit these characters and then make choices. But, and this is what I, I was talking um, with, a, with another game writer about, is do you think then it's a good idea, right, to play a character or to play what you want to do? Play you, as you being the character or Shepard being the character? Do you, do you guys um, get what I'm saying or have I gone completely off the reservation and you have no clue at all? No, I get it. Basically, yeah. it's like it's like playing Dungeons and Dragons and, and, yeah, and exactly. choosing choose, yeah. choose your alignment. Yeah, it was always the most fun bit. Yeah, I always used to find because it'd be like, I'm going to be a paladin, so you're going to be lawful good, or I'm going to mm-hmm. be, you know, this devious rogue, so I'm going to be a bit, you know, chaotic good. Mm. Was was the one I used to like playing. Um, and you know, I think, I think, you know. Games like Mass Effect, they've they've pushed boundaries in terms of choice in in how you take a character through a narrative arc and, and the way that character reacts to the world around them. Mm-hmm. But you know, I hope that the future we go much further and we give even more choice to players. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'd really hope for. But obviously, knowing how these things are made, yeah, the mechanics of it, yeah, uh, it's just it's just becomes. I mean, the reason they only give you three choices there is because you know they they. They can't cover every single possible outcome. <laughs> yeah. So, so they have to limit it somehow. But um, but yeah, I think you know, I think giving people that choice is a, is a good thing. And I mm-hmm. think you know, that I think more choice the better. Yeah. Interesting. Pitcher. Yeah, I you know when you play Mass Effect, I think you understand that Shepard is basically Buck Rogers, maybe mm-hmm. a little Han Solo, maybe etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, it's a very specific character yep. that you're trying to play, and you know you can you can flavor him or her a certain amount, but I I don't I haven't heard any complaints, although I'm sure they're out there that mm-hmm. like you you couldn't do anything that you wanted, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there is a bunch of research going on about more open narrative. Mm-hmm. For instance, with Chris Crawford's Storytron, which is uh, basically, it's just, you know, it's it's trying to be uh, generative narrative, I, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm. And we, you know, let's put it this way. Mass Effect, the series, has laid down a baseline for what, amount of choice we can have in a gameplay narrative. Mm-hmm. And to be hailed as something, you know, narratively superior to that, you need to go one step beyond that. So, you know, back 15 years ago, uh, in a you know, big budget game, we didn't even have that much. So I think it's tending towards more openness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be a matter of, you know, the audience is definitely like doing the whole Bioware thing. The research is there, although not perfect, in terms of, you know, how can we generate narrative? Mm-hmm. And if we just give it a little bit of time, I think we'll get to something freaking amazing. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, the the interesting uh, thing I have with this is that um, th- there was a lot of comments where people um, said that a lot of narrative today, especially within the bigger budget, because Bioware is definitively, definitively in that you know that AAA space, um, is that 
the expectation of the audience is that you know all the lines will be fully voice acted. Um, you have a certain graphical fidelity you need to maintain uh, to you know move forward with the standard. Um, and so when you have those those uh, principles, I suppose, of modern game design placed upon a story, it then changes the way the story could be laid out. For instance, in an earlier uh, iterations of the Fallout um, franchise, uh, you know, RPGs such as Planescape uh, Torment, you have these uh, incredibly branching stories, and you know, multiple choices, and you know, tons of text, and you have to read it all, um, and you know, most of it, none of it, almost is voice acted, and therefore, you know, the budget is placed on on different things. Where do you think that falls today? Do you think people can get away with uh, a big budget game not having the voice acting but having the story to, to carry it through? Um, yeah, like, where do you see that balance um, in the design? Uh, well, yeah, go ahead, Neil. No, I was just... I, I think it comes comes down to who's making it. I think that there is a bit of an expectation now, like your Biowares and the mm. like... Um, and Bethesda's and, and people like that that you know they they've set these benchmarks and I think for your big 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 games you're going to need all those things mm. um, uh, but I think it's it's in the kind of indie space and and, and it, where people are being a little bit clever about it because you know we you know we don't have a lot of money so we can't have full voice acting um, we can't have you know full you know fully roamable 3D worlds mm. Um, so we have to be a bit clever about you know how we structure our narratives and how we structure our visuals and audio mm. to fit within our budgets. But in a way, that const- that constraint mm. makes us become, I think, more creative in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you know over the next few years as well, you know, as you'll start to see some of these indie studios find their stride. Mm. Um, as well, you'll start. To, I, well, I, I hope you'll start to see some really interesting things that's happening in the, with the narrative. So, mm. a cheer. Yeah, I. I mean, I agree. What's interesting to me isn't what's happening now, because what we see in triple A games is largely a refinement of what's come for over the last 15 years, call it. You know, better voice acting, better music, better production values visually. But as you say, we still have to get voice acting in, voice talents. Uh, You know, you still have to have a bank of artists creating the 3D, you know, uh, animation for everything. Mm -hmm. And my question is, what happens in five years, and I'm, I'm going to go uh, on record as a prediction, when, when, <laughs> when a lot of this goes away, right? I mean, we used mm. to have to uh, put pixels onto the screen by hand, whereas now we have Photoshop and you know, all these wonderful brushes and so forth. Mm-hmm. What happens when we no longer have to use vo- voice actors exclusively? What happens when we're able to convincingly synthesize a voice does that open it up so that we can you know we can go back to fallout one days and Mm. have this enormous branching dialogue Mm. will it start in the indie space where it's okay if the voices are a little flat and wow it's interesting that we are able to do this despite the fact that it's not natural and then Mm. as that technology evolves uh, will AAA studios pick that up I want to know what's going to happen in the next five ten years Mm. 
It's it's also interesting and and going to Neil's point is that um, within the space of constrictions there comes a lot of um, inventiveness and ingenuity. Um, the motion picture production code is what popped into my mind when you mentioned that uh, from the 30s to the 60s when you know there was a certain moral code of what you could show in a in a film, uh, and that meant that a lot of films that wanted to go to those risque um, subjects for that time anyway. Um, had to rely on very inventive dialogue and very smart cinematography and, and good in, in insinuations. Um, and I think I, I, I see that within the indie space as well. You know, there's a lot of uh, games that are, you know, love letters um, to the classic RPGs, you know, like Age of Decadence, and then you've got more modern interpretations like um, uh, Banner Saga and their way of telling stories. And also to Achira's point, it's it's curious that you say that you know that there could be that coming back to those days even within those those bigger spaces within AAA spaces depending on how the technology goes because i think you know tech tech's a big deal um to how we we write stories for games because you know it's a visual medium in the end um and uh, that move from if we go back a bit to from 2d to 3d was a really awkward period where 3d was was actually really bad. Um, <laughs> where looking at a two D game now is actually you know quite nice and quite well polished, and you know some three D in the early animations were really terrible. Um, so yeah, it is interesting, and, and we'll see where it goes from here. Um, so moving on from from this from this topic is that and going uh, with that train of thought back into the past. Um, so I hope I don't make you guys feel too old uh, thinking about your, your 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 earlier days in the industry. Uh, is that um, tell me about your first experiences of working in the video game industry and seeing a writer in that space? You know, uh, was it some dusky, dank little corner of the the production studio where some programmer was also writing, or whether there was a dedicated writer? And where do you think that has come? Like, where do you think writing has a place today? So, sure, let's start with you. Sure, let's start back around 1993 when I got my first job in the industry at Legend. Uh, you know, it was a multi-user dungeon, text-based multiplayer game called Legends of Future Past, mm -hmm. and it was, uh, you know, essentially an indie studio creating it. There were like, you know, fewer than a, a dozen people working and many of them were working remotely given that the you know it was a you know it was a you know sort of like a networked game and the writers were sort of i mean they were all game masters right i mean they mm -hmm. were all tabletop yeah. game you know gms that knew a little bit about how to program and uh you know when i got in there i started from the programming side but i worked my way into the writing side as well and we would you know, when we were actually physically proximate, we would sit together at a table and we would plan something out and then we would go and we would run it online, which meant that, that we were at our computers and, uh, you know, sort of co-GMing. Mm. And, yeah. and yeah, it was like, I remember it was a hundred degrees in the office and, <laughs> you know, back then I was young, so I, I drank a lot of Coca-Cola and stuff. But it was, uh, you know, it was a combined role. There were very few people who were purely writers. It was also, you know, I'm, I'm a writer and I can also implement this. I'm a writer and also I can do this art. Mm. 
and that's I think uh, you know let's separate it out now. Mm. Um, Neil, where have you where have you oh. been in your past <laughs> in your so sordid I, history? <laughs> yeah, so my so I worked on racing games for six years. And that, oh, you, that's could, that's very not very sordid <laughs> at all. What are you doing, Neil? <laughs> I, I, it was it was a fantastic period, but there mm-hmm. wasn't many writers. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Studios. Yeah, Need for Speed Underground 2 didn't need... Well, I know it did. It did have a bit of writing. It had a little bit, yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, no, so I didn't have much experience. But the thing is with me, I, you know, I come from an art background, so I was I was heavily into building racetracks. That was my mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, yeah, so when I came to, you know, looking to, you know, revive this game book scene from the 1980s, I really had to dig down to the far corners of the internet and find people that were still writing this stuff. <laughs> and I, I actually found like Yahoo groups of 35 year old men <laughs> who were writing stories still set in the fighting fantasy world, you know, and they were collating yeah. data, data about the world and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny that, you know, something that was very popular um pre-video games which were game books you know Mm. um they they still maintained this kind of core group of fans that just kind of kept the kept the dream alive i guess and um and we're just waiting for the day where the sun shined on them once again and uh, and i apparently was that sun yeah you were that sun (laughs) (laughs) you know what i like about what tin man does really is that you guys are kind of evolving that right i mean if you look through tin man games as games i don't remember the first one that i played but i mean i I think it was largely text Mm -hmm. and then you go forward uh, a while and then you get to you know it was a traveler game if i recall correctly i mean there was there was there was some visuals in there and then if you go way forward uh to uh uh oh shit what's your uh warlock of of fire top mountain yeah yeah Right. I mean, that's like that, I, I think, is a really good combination of mm. the graphic fidelity that we're expecting out of an indie game today yeah. with with narrative. And I mean, like it, it weaves the gameplay in as well instead of just sort of like covering it up with graphics. So it's it's interesting to see how that's evolving. And I'm curious what you guys are going to do next. Yeah, no, thanks for your nice comments. <laughs> it's, um, it, uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a journey. I mean. And a lot of this, like I was talking about, you know, budget constraints, a lot of our decisions over the years have been budgetary. You know, I would love mm. to have um, created a, a more visual game book back you know, when we first started. But, you know, art's expensive. Yeah. Um, and writers are generally used to working on back end royalty deals. So you yep. can generally <laughs> give them money on the back end, whereas artists, <laughs> they, need, they need to have money up front yeah so. wait is that actually true do writers usually do rev sh- uh, royalty or rev share yeah yeah for, yeah. for games it's very yeah, very for true much all our stuff yeah but well you see we come at it from more of a we're kind of more of a in a weird kind of book publisher way yeah role, yeah I guess. so yeah we we do it that way i mean we we kind of do a general sort of advanced plus royalty these days um for, for a lot of our stuff but uh but yeah, so it's it, you know, and as as Tin Man Games has grown, and as we've got a bit more uh, money in the bank, and we've you know we've been able to take a few more risks, and I guess the Wall of Fight Up Mountain is the the, the pinnacle of the the mm. of where we're at really. Um, yeah. But even with Warlock, you know, we've 
we've still made creative decisions based on budgetary constraints. So, like, none of our characters are animated, for example. Yeah. Um, and it's the reason why we've gone for the digital figurines, because, you know, people play Dungeons and Dragons. Their, yeah. their figurines that they put on their table don't actually move around the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can kind of get away with things like that. But, you know, those decisions okay you know they're they're creative decisions but they're also a budgetary thing too so yeah uh, so you know it's it's we keep sort of moving up up that ladder um mm. they're so in considered fashion <laughs> um, <laughs> could i tangent really briefly yeah go for it uh you know based on what neil's saying with respect to budget and so forth i have been thinking about hmm you know, there are expensive ways to get a story across, but yep. there are, uh, and it's also very difficult to get people to read in a game unless, you know, <laughs> yeah, you guys know that. Yep. Oh, yeah, uh, one-star reviews on the App Store. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I have to read, have to question read mark? <laughs> which, is, which is insane because we read on, like, Facebook, Twitter, you know, the news. <laughs> like, people read But fiction all and the time. too difficult. Just too well, difficult. <laughs> I think, I you know, I think that, we haven't like a game really has to earn that mm. right i mean a facebook post it's it's really short and mm. it's about your friends so they that's that's like earned already mm. uh i've been experimenting on our upcoming game singularity starship it is a narrative heavy game where you play an artificial intelligence that goes around to various inhabited planets with the intent to uh to sort of shape society. Mm. And I want to convey a lot of the narrative through text. Mm. And we've been, you know, we've been experimenting with different ways to do that. And I think the worst way is to slap a dialogue box on the screen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the cheapest. <laughs> yep. uh, and, you know, a, a really great way is like, oh, let's do all voice acting for everything. But that's incredibly expensive. So... Mm. What I've settled on trying in the near term, and Neil, maybe you've experimented with this, is like kinetic typography, if you guys are familiar. No. I can't say that. So if you see these videos, it was popular a few years ago where somebody was just narrating something and mm-hmm. on the video you know, on the screen you would see words like pop in and you know, they'd you know, if you're you're talking about uh you know, n- narrative in games like that would mm-hmm. might be written out as script or something like that, and you know, it would fall off the screen, and then somebody would talk about something else, and there would be yeah. some visual elements. Mm-hmm. And I think that kept people, you know, that keeps people's interests because it's filling the visual channel, while also, uh, I don't know, uh, I you know that you know a brain has multiple channels yeah. going. Yeah. Right? So you're reading something, but you're also being entertained visually. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's actually what you're doing with uh, with Firetop Mountain in a way. You know, you're sort of like pleasing the senses, all of them, while sort of sneaking in <laughs> narrative. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Gosh, I haven't. Wow, you've just delved into our business model. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Unpacked it in just a couple seconds. I completely hear you, though. We've got a, yeah. another game that we've got called Choices and the Sun Went Out, which is our mm-hmm. free-to-play subscription-based game, um, which is all about an artificial intelligence called Moti, um, who you can actually play on your Apple Watch, and he talks to you. Um, or he's not actually a he, he's, he's a nondescript gender, but um, uh, they talk to you and you know uh, drive the narrative along. 
But one of the things we found with that was that we redesigned our engine to act like a Twitter feed. So we made a rule that any line couldn't be a certain number of characters. Um, and you tap the screen for the next piece of dialogue in the same way that you just kind of scroll through your Twitter feed and just mm. read the inane messages that everybody posts. Yeah. Um, and we found that that's been really well received and people really, really like that. So, so except I think for your writers who are like, oh my God, you're constraining me to 160 <laughs> characters. My creative yeah. freedom. <laughs> but that makes them more creative, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. Sometimes it does. <laughs> that's very so true. So I think, I think you're very right, Jiro. I like, I think it's, you know, there is this in the modern age of people that have no attention spans mm -hmm. we need to try and think of to do clever things with words whether that's oh wait a second i want to challenge that i think our attention spans are are perfectly good but we need to be amazing about like look you could like you okay guaranteed it Jero, that probably 20 percent of this audience has already tuned out, so... It's fine, and that just means that they, I mean, there's something more attractive, right? And that we're not being interesting enough. That's, yeah. that's, and if it's only 20%, that's, that's pretty good. But, you know, like, I, here's a story. Uh, a, a buddy of mine has mm. a daughter who had a sleepover at her house, and her friends were all sitting in, a, in the living room, and all of them were texting, and it was really eerie. Mm. Because they would text, and they were they were doing a group chat with two of the girls who were not in the same room. Yeah, and it would be completely silent, and then suddenly they would all burst out into laughter, <laughs> and then it would go quiet again and rinse yeah. and repeat. And yeah. like this went on for hours. Mm. So like the attention span required to do all of that is is pretty good, right? Mm. But I think oh, yep. go for it. Keep going. Well, I was just going to let you know to, to finish. I think people are very discerning now. If something is not good and entertaining immediately, then, you know, turn it off. Yeah. Something else. I think that's you've hit you've hit it right there is that if it's not interesting immediately and it's to the certain extent of like uh, to use a bad example, that's probably got nothing to do with this. But, you know, that's what we do on the podcast is junk food. You know, like, you can go down to McDonald's and you can get a burger and there's just something about that that just tastes so good that even though, you know, you could spend, I don't know, a couple hours marinating a beautiful steak, you know, get the perfect thing to go with it and cook it and do it and it tastes fantastic, there's just this tiny bit of you, tiny part of you that thinks to yourself, man, that cheeseburger though, <laughs> that's still pretty good. And that, oh, but Joel, sorry, <laughs> no, go for it. Is. No, no, no. no it... I mean, like you're you're not providing a proper either or right there. I mean, yeah, that's like apples oranges. There's like so the comparison would be go to McDonald's or go get a filet mignon at another restaurant, right? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. you get a good you know you get a good meal yeah. in uh, in the latter case, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel I feel like though that it's it's the access, right? It's that ease of access that makes it more attractive to 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 a modern audience, because it's um, it's the idea of uh, easy availability with what we have. Um, and in in a bit, um, you know, the, the people always say like, oh, you know, all these young people always playing those Call of Duty games, and even though the, I think that's a stereotype, and I think that people are quite discerning when it comes to to gaming, especially when you're younger or whatever. Um, I think there is a truth in uh, and easy satisfaction. You know, you you press a button and something visually interesting happens, and that's more appealing than say taking time and reading through a narrative. And it depends on what you consider to be enjoyable as well, right? You've got that 
that dynamic. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know where 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 it stands in this. Neil, I, I yeah, I just think sometimes um, you know some people miss out on the bigger picture because they they're too quick to to shut something down mm. because they think it's boring or it's not appealing enough for them. Whereas mm. actually, I think some of the best life experiences I've ever had, whether it's been in entertainment or just anything really, have been the things that take time mm. and build and, and send you on this journey. Mm. It's like it's like it's like I, I liken it to music. Mm. There are certain albums which I call um you hit the word, which are albums that you have to listen from the first song to the end song. Mm. Yeah. Um, because you don't appreciate the whole album. It's like it's like a journey. Mm. Whereas everybody consumes music now as just one song on a shuffle, yeah, and it's and it's and I I kind of I miss that like and I actually force myself to miss, listen to an album from start mm. just just to to try and get that because I, even I fall into that shuffle yeah definitely mentality so um, um it's on on a tangent ish point um when I was uh, working uh, for a game company Audio Entertainment I was going over a script I was hired to come in and you know edit some text and not really change the story but just edit it and the game used uh, um, dialogue boxes and conversations for the most point because you know in many ways like Achira mentioned it's the cheapest easiest method um, to deliver story um, uh, for, for you know RPG strategy type game um, and it was interesting to me because looking at the Steam forums, uh, <laughs> which which is interesting because you get some really good stuff there, and you, you can also you know ignore a lot of it. But um, it, you see that it depends on what people want out of their story. You know, I find that if your dialogue and your descriptions in a text-based game aren't just killer, you know, mm. people are not going to like it. Um, you know, even Pillars of Eternity, a game which you know, has great um, great minds behind it and great writers behind it. it was criticized for its dialogue. Um, and because that's the thing that was going for it, you know, people go into that game and expect, you know, a killer story, every line's got to be a zinger, and you've got to keep that. And I think that's, well, that's a lot of pressure on a writer, especially. Um, any comments on that, or would you? Yeah, I, I yep. would say that, you know, by the time people that were playing Pillars of Eternity had discovered that they didn't like the writing, they'd already spent their money. <laughs> yeah. um, part of the trouble as game developers these days is to try and actually get people to buy your product. And, mm -hmm. you know, and this is why, um, you know, many of our early games were what I would discuss, would call wall of text. And I personally like those kinds of games. Yeah. But it, it turns out that, you know, there's, there's not a massive, massive audience. It's quite niche. So it's this is niche, why yeah. we've been pushing for, um, taking the text narrative and, and trying to deliver it in a way which might appeal to somebody that needs a bit more visual f flavoring mm. um, in their life. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of wonder on the wall of text topic mm -hmm. if that's something that we now really need to earn. So again, yeah. you know, it, Facebook posts, they can, you know, you, you, you link to an article, you read the article. That's, I mean, that's a wall of text right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if, a, if we can, you know, this is a thought experiment, if we can get somebody write, uh, reading an entire screen full of text, you know, a Call of Duty player reading an entire screen full of text, if the first few bits of text are, you know, tweet-sized or, or, or mm -hmm. less, right? 
It's mm. just like doing a cutscene in a video game. You will, I mean, I, I don't want to watch it. 20 minute cutscene. You know, I did play Metal Gear Solid 5, so this is an exception. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want a cutscene before I'm invested in the game. Mm. But as the game continues, I'm probably willing to sit through more and more yeah. cutscenes yep. because I'm like, oh yeah, what happens next? And then finally I'd be like, yes, 30 minute in cutscene. That's yeah. awesome. It's <laughs> a really it good the same point. Proof text. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. You need to invest your audience into what you're actually trying to do before you give them an Excel spreadsheet, basically, yeah. um, to look through. So, so you're saying start off with Twitter and end with War and Peace? <laughs> I say I absolutely start with like a five characters. You get five characters. And we and start with Pingu. Know. We start with Pingu, and we end up with War and Peace. Deal. Get the get the comparison right. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm on it tomorrow. All right, I'll call you up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting towards the end of our discussion, um, and we. I thank you, uh, Ichiro and Neil, for coming on. It was a lovely chat. Uh, in the end, I love talking about this because you know I worked on it. It was one of the first experiences working on a, a game like that, and it really left me with a big impression of what the industry um, can be and where writers can be. And I just really want people talking about it. You know, I really want people talking about that side of the industry. You know, we've got the artists, we've got the programmers, and like Ichiro says, that's the most obvious, evident thing you can see. But there's a lot of stuff happening in the back, and you know that back end is what I'm interested in. And I hope we've given you an interesting um, soundbite of what you can look at. Uh, and if you're a writer, you'd be like, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in that. You know, I'll check it out." Even if you're not, you know, played a lot of video games, it can still be an industry that you can be interested in and get into because I think it's one of the most exciting up and coming industries out there. Um, Neil. Thank you very much for coming on. Tell us what you've got planned, you know, um, any new releases, times, dates, anything. Uh, so we've we've got three things on the way. We've got the Warlock Firetop Mountain, which I've spoken about a lot. Mm -hmm. We've also got the license for Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, and we're doing like a visual novel, a kind of Japanese Phoenix Wrighty take on uh, an interactive narrative. Mm -hmm. And we've got some beautiful art created for that. And then we've also got Choices, which is... Um, and the someone out, which is a continuity be written because we're, we're releasing that weekly. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just like to say that you should all go and buy Elegy for a Dead World because it's amazing. It Ooh. definitely is. Very enjoyable game. Talking about that, Ichiro, you've got some big announcements for us. Sure. Well, I'm about to launch a new game. Uh, what is it? Day after tomorrow. Wow. And I, I meant to talk about how narrative <laughs> had uh, helped us with level design, but perhaps uh, oh, for now, right. we that. never got there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the other game that we're working on is a longer-term game. Again, is Singularity Starship. It is like it's completely done in uh, text-based graphics right now. So we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Cool. <laughs> wow. Looking forward to it. But yes, I echo what Neil said. Um, I started up uh, Elegy the other day just to boot it back up and uh, in preparation for this interview. And man, it's a uh, it's got some great stuff there, so you should definitely check it out. Even if you're not a writer and you just want to read people's work, you can do that as well. So um, give it a shot. Neil Renison, Cheryl Lambie, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks a thank lot. You. Beautiful. Thank you. thank you, listeners, and we'll see you in the next podcast.